venerated perhaps above it, the Sabbath. So let's consider the Sabbath, both from the Lord's perspective and the Pharisees' perspective. For as we will see, there is something significantly different between the two regarding the Sabbath. For one is divinely viewed, the other is viewed with a man-made tradition and extra-biblical rules. And those two don't match, they don't mingle, they are incompatible. And we've seen that as we have observed Jesus stand in stark contrast to the Pharisees. You recall that the intensity between Jesus and the legalistic religious leaders is on the increase. Last week we saw for the very first time the legalistic Pharisees actually confront Jesus in person. Verbally, face to face. Prior to that, you remember they had at first reasoned in their hearts against him. Then they verbally accused him to the disciples. They hadn't yet reached Jesus. And then in verses 18 to 22, where we were last Sunday, for the first time we saw that they confronted Jesus face to face. And we saw that Jesus really messed them up too when they attempted to do that. When he took the conversation from legalistic fasting to joyous feasting, to clearly explaining that he is the new way for a new day that had dawned. And now the increase again is upon us. The increase in the attack from the Pharisees is increasing. And they do so this Sunday by, or this text rather, on our day here, by chasing Jesus around with an accusatory finger saying, Look, he is sinning. He and his disciples are doing what is not lawful. So pointing a finger saying, look, there is sin happening there while being blind to their own. And that is the heart of self-righteousness that we have observed in those verses prior 13 through to 18 and onwards. As the Pharisees were hard on Jesus and the disciples but easy on themselves. If there was one thing that was precious to these Pharisees and those in Judaism, it is the Sabbath. And for the most part, rightly so. The Sabbath was a commandment given to them, them being the people of Israel, and they were to observe it. The trouble is that man-made regulations got in the way. And so often that is the case. They get in the way. And prior to this account in Mark, Jesus had already had a Sabbath debacle. This is not the first issue that Jesus has had with the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. Turn with me very quickly to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And look at verse 9 of John chapter 5. It's good to hear the pages of the Bible turning. Wonderful article during the week about how paper Bibles are better than phone Bibles by Daryl Burling. That's a great article. Hunt it down. I said amen to that. Look at verse 9 of of, uh, John chapter 5. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. 
Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath and is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, Very interesting. My father is working until now. And I myself am working. Look at the very next verse in verse 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Amazing. This man had been sick for, what, 38 years, 40 years? And it was okay for they, the Pharisees in the day allowed people to pick up their sheep if it fell into a ditch and pull it out on the Sabbath. But to heal a man unwell for 38 to 40 years, they, they say to him, it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Before you marvel at their self-righteousness, <laughs> consider how prone we are to our own. This was the first encounter that Jesus had with the Sabbath. Back to Mark. I want to turn you there just to show you that. The Sabbath is the fourth commandment. Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17 is where we see the ten commandments. No doubt you know those. There were ten commandments given to Israel. And the longest of those commandments regarding the Sabbath is, is, is the Sabbath. In verses 8 to 11 of Exodus chapter 20. Let me read that for you. The commandment given is, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That is, to set it apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Jewish people were set apart by God from other nations. They were set apart to be holy to other nations. And the Jewish people were to set apart a holy day of rest. And if there were two things that the Jewish people defi were defined by from among those other nations, it was circumcision and Sabbath. The word Sabbath 
comes from a word that means to rest or to cease. That's the word. The Sabbath was observed from Friday sunset until Saturday sunset. So a full 24 hour day. And the people of Israel to whom were given the Ten Commandments were to rest from all work on that day. Other nations weren't given that Sabbath mandate. The nation of Israel was. And so this was a mercy to man, kind of the nation of Israel. It was a mercy because man was to rest. One Jewish custom and one Jewish writing says this, a very old one, quote, God chose Israel from all the peoples of the earth and instituted the Sabbath as an eternal sign and blessing of Israel's unique status, end quote. So the people of Israel were given the Sabbath mandate from God to rest and to cease from work. And yet, man-made religions, regulations rather, creep in. They flow in. And that is when trouble brews. Listen to some of these man-made regulations. I mean, I googled this week the world's weirdest laws. And the first one was a law supposedly about... Um, in Victoria, in Melbourne, you have to be a fully qualified electrician to change a light bulb. Being from Melbourne and knowing electricians, that's not true. I mean, it's heavily regulated, but you can change a light bulb. And so I just threw that out and I wasn't going to bring those, because uh, I didn't know if the others were true either. They were ridiculous, some of them. But listen to some of these. These were man-made regulations that were written in the Talmud which is a very significant book in the Jewish religion. Still to this day, you can buy them at 7-Elevens in Los Angeles. You can buy them all over the place still to this day. Listen to some of these laws. If your hand or foot or body part was dislocated on the Sabbath, it was not right to put it back in place. You had to wait until the sunset on Saturday night when the Sabbath was over before you put a dislocated joint back into place. On the Sabbath, you couldn't bath or wash yourself. On the Sabbath, you couldn't light a candle. No hunting animals or butchering an animal at all. You couldn't tie a knot. You couldn't even untie a knot. If a roof caved in, you weren't allowed to fix it. You could prop it up with a pole temporarily, but... If a building or a dwelling or a home collapsed, you could only remove enough rubble to determine if people were dead or alive. If there was anyone alive in there, you could rescue them. But if they were dead, you couldn't move anything until Saturday sunset. These aren't, these are real binding things that they would lay heavy upon the people. Here's another one. You couldn't carry a pen on the Sabbath. You couldn't carry a sewing needle on the Sabbath. You certainly couldn't sew. Get this one. You couldn't leave a radish in salt on the Sabbath. Why? Because it would turn into a pickle and then the process of pickling was considered work. These are in writing, regulated. Man-made regulations. I didn't hear that in Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. 
No medical treatment that improved the person's health could be administered. That's in there too. I mean, I don't even understand that one. Let's let's give this person medical treatment that's going to make them worse. No medical treatment that improved the person's health could be administered on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to look into a mirror on the Sabbath. If women did so, this is what it says, <laughs> they may be tempted to remove a grey hair or two. <laughs> and that would be considered work. I mean, we can laugh now as New Covenant people, but imagine how heavy this was. So not only could you not wash yourself on the Sabbath, you couldn't wash your clothes on the Sabbath. And last of all, Though what I've given you is in no way at all an extensive or full list of the Sabbath laws in the Talmud, the written man regulation laws. Last of all, you were not allowed to travel more than 1,999 steps away from your house. 2,000 steps and it's unlawful. Why? Because it was considered work. I mean, I read this week... That even today in Jewish neighborhoods, there is a thing known as an Eruv. An Eruv is a rope that is connected. They do this today in Jewish communities all over the world. It's a rope that's connected from house to house all through the neighborhood, which then connects the houses together and makes them one. And therefore, they can walk great distances in their communities. And go beyond those steps. All sounds bizarre, right? Well, man-made regulations can indeed be bizarre. And they can also be problematic. They can cause issues. They can cause unrest. And that's what we'll see as we begin to walk through our passage this morning. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to first notice in the text, in verse 23, a Sabbath incident. We're going to see an incident, we're going to see an indictment, we're going to certainly see an ignorance, and we'll see an instruction. Let's begin in verse 23 with a Sabbath incident. Look at verse 23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. So here is a Sabbath day. Presented before us. A day in which God has commanded that the people rest and cease from work. That's what the commandment is. And again, it's a mercy to man who were under the old covenant. And Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields. And you can bet they are not far from town. As the Pharisees are close by, right? They're at least 1,998 steps away, pointing the finger. And both Jesus and the disciples are picking grain. They're pointing the finger. Jesus and the disciples are picking the grain. Matthew chapter 12 verse 1 tells us that the disciples were hungry and were picking grain. Luke chapter 6 verse 1 adds to the account and tells us that they weren't only picking the grain, 
they were rubbing the grain in their hands and eating the grain. So that's the full picture in perfect harmony. That's really the treasure and preciousness of, of the Gospels, getting the full harmonious account of what took place there. Jesus and the disciples were walking along a path, picking grain, rubbing it in their hands. Now think about when you grab grain and rub it in your hands, it breaks that husk there, and then you take out the grain and eat it. They were doing that. They were eating the grain, breaking the grain, rubbing the grain, and picking the grain. This is the Sabbath incident. This really sets the scene for us of what is going to unfold. That's the incident. The incident leads to... The second thing I want you to see in the text. So we've seen, just by way of introduction, a Sabbath incident. That's what's taking place there. In verse 24, I want you to see a Sabbath indictment. An indictment. Look at verse 24. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees are zealous to maintain and honor the Sabbath. As they have established it. As they have regulated it. And as the religious leaders of the day, as they have established it and as they have regulated it, the people have observed it. They've begun to observe it. And know what they were saying at the very start of verse 24. They were saying to him, That's the action they were doing, rather. They were saying to him. They were after him. They were no longer standing back or no longer reasoning in their hearts, no longer just talking to the disciples. They were chasing after Jesus himself. Not to learn from him, not to cheer him on, but to indict him on. Charges of unlawful conduct on the Sabbath. They were saying, look, look. With a pointed finger. Look there, a Greek term conveying the idea that something is being observed that is absolutely shocking and must be corrected. That's what that word and particle look is conveying there. What they are doing is unlawful. Why are they doing what is unlawful? We must point and we must correct. They're saying, why are they doing what is not lawful? Jesus is swept up into this too. They're really implying, why is he living lawlessly? Well, he wasn't. And his disciples weren't either. These Pharisees, with their man-made religion, viewed the breaking of the husks and the eating of the grain as preparing a meal. And therefore, considered this an act of reaping a harvest, preparing a meal and working. Their man-made regulations were a burden that God never, ever intended. And you may think, well, how? How? (laughs) That sounds a whole lot like working. God never intended such a heavy burden. Let me show you why. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. 
Deuteronomy chapter 23. Look at verse 25. Well, let's begin reading in verse 24. Deuteronomy chapter 23, beginning in verse 24. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, then you may eat grapes until you are fully satisfied. But you shall not put any in your basket. Look at verse 25. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. Hmm. It was permitted by God to pluck ripened grain with your hand so long as you didn't wield a sickle. I don't see in our text any mention of a sickle. What Jesus and his disciples were doing was permitted by God himself. Jesus never violated the law of God. But he violated the man-made regulations and traditions of man many, many times. And he does both here. (laughs) He keeps the law of God and he breaks the legalistic law of man. Back to Mark again. So as Jesus begins to move along in ministry and we're seeing this increasing intensity, all of Jesus' conduct just incensed the Pharisees. But they held the Sabbath as the highest pinnacle. And what Jesus is doing here enraged the Pharisees. And their question here, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath, really is a veiled threat. Break the law, we'll break you. So there is this indictment laid at the feet of Jesus and the disciples. And yet, you remember, as we saw last week, Jesus had his own indictment for them. For the religious, self-righteous, pharisaical leaders of the day. He said to them, and that's really what's playing out here. You remember in Mark chapter 7 verse 5, he said, you are experts. You are professionals. You are excellent at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. That's a warning for us, is it not? One of the great plagues of the Lord's people is when man-made regulations, man-made mandates usurp mandates from God. Each church, each denomination, each family, each person has a set of convictions and traditions. And that is good. Traditions are good. Convictions are good. They are healthy. But they become unhealthy when they are unbending and immovable. A good tradition is open to change. And the rubber can hit the road when the tradition is challenged or when the tradition is indeed changed. If there's no explicit prescription from God in his word, 
then what is left is preference. Preference. Now, as believers, we are not Pharisees. We are not false teaching, legalistic, opposed, distant from God. As believers, we're not those things. But we can indeed be given to, at times and seasons, even lifetimes, sadly, to legalism. Legalism that indicts others on preferential issues. Let us be very careful to not ever indict a person, a pastor, a church, a component or feature of Sunday morning worship using man-made regulations. And to avoid that kind of thing, we need to be like Christ. We need to have the mind of Christ. And we get the mind of Christ from the Word of God. We need to be like Christ who corrected erroneous thinking with wisdom. And Jesus did so by combating, combating rather. And it's the third thing I want you to see in the text, and that is a Sabbath ignorance in verses 25 to 26. Have a look there. And he said to them, in response to their question, why are you all doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and he and his companions became hungry and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathah, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, is how that verse begins. They had just said something to Jesus and now he is about to say something to them. And not a good place to be. Jesus never loses an argument. For what he speaks is truth, what he speaks is wisdom, and what he speaks is perfection. He says to them, have you not read? This is an attack upon their ignorance. This is a Sabbath ignorance. Have you not read? He said this to the Pharisees a lot. Have you not read? Do you not know? Have you not read? Do you not understand? Do you not know that it is written? Have you not read? You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were the so-called know-it-alls. They were the theologians of the day. They were the go-to guys. They knew Scripture. And Jesus points them to a scriptural example. No doubt they had read it. But their interpretation of it was way off. The same is with the rabbis and the Jewish leaders today. They still exist today. The same legalistic, pharisaical, religious Jewish leaders still abound today. The same is with the rabbis today. Isaiah 53 is Jerusalem to them. It's not speaking about the Messiah. It's speaking about Jerusalem and not Jesus. So Jesus here seeks to expose their ignorance. Have you not read what David did? Again, another question answered with a question by Jesus. Jesus turns them back to Scripture, back to the account of David... And the significance of it. First Samuel 21, 1-6 is where Jesus points them. 
Let's go there for a moment. First Samuel. I want to show you this. I make no apology for making you turn all over the place. But I'm sorry. First Samuel 21. This is the account that Jesus is talking, talking about here. Verse 1. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? Why would he say that? David was on the run from Saul. David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter of which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is a consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered and the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? Verse 6. So the priest gave him consecrated bread. For there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Interesting. David was hungry. The young men with him were also. They were in need of food. The reason this is a surprise, why are you alone and no one with you? Why is he hungry? Why is there this great need? David was somewhat of an outlaw on the run at this time from King Saul. And so out of desperation and out of need, they asked for food. They entered, as Jesus said, the house of God in the time of Abathiah. And the bread they receive is what is called the consecrated bread. That bread was placed on the table in the tabernacle. Twelve loaves of this bread were placed on this table, representing the twelve tribes of Israel. They were laid in two rows. They symbolized the nation of Israel's reliance upon God and their gratitude for God. Now get this. On the Sabbath, the old bread was switched out for fresh loaves. And the old loaves were only allowed to be eaten by the priests. Leviticus 24.9 says that this bread belongs to Aaron and his sons who are to eat it in the sanctuary area. This bread was for priests only. And so here... You have David on the run from Saul, hungry and in need. And he's got young men with him. And he heads to the priest. He heads to Nob. 
and asks them for food. And the priest gave them bread. Ceremony did not allow this. But guess what? Compassion did. Compassion allowed for it. And so as not to defile, the priest had one condition. That the young men were not ceremonially unclean, having been with women. And so, upon assurance that the young men had kept their purity, the bread was given, the need was met. And compassion trumped clinical observance to ritual and ceremony. God permitted a ceremonial law to be laid aside for a moment to meet a physical need. Why did Jesus turn them to this account? Why, why did he, why did he, have you not read David, 1 Samuel? Well, have you not read that? Why? For by doing so, he showed the Pharisees that compassion trumps being clinical. Legalistic self-righteousness is often void of compassion, is it not? Why? Again. Hard on others, easy on yourself. No compassion extended to others, begging for compassion to be extended to you. Jesus is exposing their ignorance. We need him to do that to us, don't we? From time to time, you and I need to be exposed, need, need to have Jesus expose our ignorance. With things like this. Particularly to inject compassion into our hearts and minds. Turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 12. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to read Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Matthew chapter 12 verse 1. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. This is the account. Same account. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of the grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read when David, what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Now look at verse 5. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you, now listen to this, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. (laughs) But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice you would have not condemned the innocent. Boom. (laughs) Drop the microphone and walk away. Verse 5. The priests break the Sabbath. How? By lighting fires and slaughtering animals. 
They didn't break God's rules, it broke man's rules. And yet the Pharisees permitted it so, for they were caught in their legalism. It's not okay for you, but let's not talk about the fact that the priests do it every Sabbath. Shh! That doesn't fit our MO. Our modus operandi. That's the heart of legalism. I know a real life example of a well-known author, Christian author, who would be so very vocal, comes from a fundamentalist, independent fundamentalist camp, meaning um, not a literal camp, group of people. He was so vocal that Christmas trees are pagan and Christmas trees are sinful and Christmas trees have no place. And he had a six foot Christmas tree in his house. That's the heart of legalism. Jesus exposing their ignorance. And he says in verse 6, look, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Who can be the only one greater than the temple? The God of the temple. Jesus is talking about himself. This is a clear declaration of the deity of Christ where he again asserts the fact that he is God come to dwell among man. Back to Mark. And so Jesus is saying in Mark chapter 2 verses 25 and 26 that if David, and hear me now, that if David can enter in and find bread when in need, so too can the son of David. Jesus is referred to as the son of David in Scripture. And so a takeaway for us today, and for us as the people today, what's a takeaway for us? Well, I'll tell you one takeaway. It's this. Ignorance equals issues. Ignorance equals issues. I mean, could you imagine if you got a man and gave him a commercial pilot's license and sat him in a Boeing 777 and he was about to take off? He has no knowledge of how to start the plane, to taxi the plane, to take off in the plane, to fly the plane, to land the plane. He is completely ignorant and unaware of how to fly a plane. That causes issues. <laughs> On a far greater scale, when the people of God, when the pastors who stand in pulpits in the churches of God, when leadership, when people who profess the name of Jesus Christ are ignorant to the word of God and the prescriptions given to us by God, issues arise. Because one thing that we don't want to be certain of, or rather found guilty of, is by flinging around opinions that have no anchor in the word of God. I mean, would you want to change the principles laid out in Scripture that Jesus gives us in His Word about how to deal with conflict? 
Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them in private. You wouldn't want to change that to go to the whole community, would you? (laughs) No, 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 it says private. But sometimes we don't live like that. When there is an unawareness and ignorance to follow through on the biblical principles that the Word of God gives us, there are issues. And you can only know the principles if you know the Word of God. The pilot can only fly the plane successfully if he has knowledge about how to fly the plane. We can only navigate our way through life by being aware of the Word of God. Jesus said to them, have you not read? They read. But they didn't mind the depths and seek the proper interpretation and application of the Word of God. So, emphasizing his true identity there as God, something greater than the temple has come. And therefore, asserting his absolute sovereignty... Jesus then has some words in closing regarding the Sabbath. And this is the fourth and final thing I want you to see in the text there. We've seen a Sabbath incident. We've seen a Sabbath indictment. We just saw a Sabbath instruction, ignorance rather. And now we're going to close with a Sabbath instruction. Look at verse 27 and 28. Jesus said to them, no response from them. They would have just been floored by that. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So, now get this. He says this to them. I can believe he said it and I can't believe he said it. He says this. So the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Speaking of this verse, one prominent New Testament commentator stated this, quote, God never intended ceremony, ritual or tradition to stand in the way of mercy, kindness and goodness toward others. Thus, Jesus explained to the Pharisees that even the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, end quote. Meaning that the aim and intent of the Sabbath was to give them rest, On a regular basis. Yet what the Pharisees had done. Had weighed down the people. With all sorts of regulations and mandates of their own making. And they would weighed down the people heavily. And you had an entire people. The nation of Israel. Who were heavy laden and weighed down with burden. And Jesus then says that he is sovereign over the Sabbath. And and being sovereign, here is his instruction. But he doesn't end there by saying those things. That the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What authority does he have to give instructions upon the Sabbath? To the Pharisees, he stands diametrically opposed to their religion, to the religion, the the chosen people 
To them, he stands diametrically opposed to the true religion from their perspective. But by what authority does he dare speak? Look at verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord even of this Sabbath that you hold up so high. I am, because the Son of Man is Jesus' favorite term used to refer to himself. They would have known exactly what he was saying when he said the Son of Man, that he was referring to himself, that he is Lord over the Sabbath. The word kurios is the word for Lord. And in the Greek here, in verse 28, very, very interesting, the word Lord has been thrust to the front of the sentence, making it completely unexpected. Absolutely emphatic. Lord is the Son of Man of the Sabbath, literally in the Greek. A bold declaration here that Jesus is Lord. Lord of the pinnacle of the Jewish religious system. The centerpiece of Judaism. The core of the observances of Judaism. Jesus is Lord and thereby sovereign over the Sabbath. So, What do we have here? We have man-made regulations that are laid heavily upon people. This all adds an unnecessary weight and burden upon a person's heart and upon a person's soul and the hypocritical, self-righteous religious leaders of the day who were so far away from God themselves poured out burden and burden upon the people. They made a person tired. They made the nation burdened. The day had become exactly that, a regulated day where burden abounded. And then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Sabbath. Rest. He is our rest. What about for us today, here, now? Our Jesus is Lord. Our Jesus is compassionate. Our Jesus is God. He's displayed all of those things. Our Jesus, by his arrival and his presence, is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law, which was given to the nation of Israel, of which the Sabbath was part. Some words for us in closing regarding the Sabbath. Our brother in glory, Ray Knowles. I haven't forgotten Ray. Praying Ray. (laughs) And others, theologians and the like, have written very well on this issue. And here is what I draw, draw from their writings. There are ten commandments. Each of them are mentioned in the New Testament except for one. The Sabbath. The Ten Commandments are not binding on us as New Covenant believers. They are not abolished or unhelpful or without their place in pointing people to Christ. In many ways, they're the great tutor that points people to Christ, schoolmaster. But they were given to Israel and binding to Israel. 
not binding to us. That doesn't mean that we can steal and kill and covet. (laughs) It just means that the Ten Commandments weren't given to us. The New Testament never commands Christians to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a sign. It is called a sign in Exodus chapter 31 verses 16 to 17. It is called the sign of a distinct covenant to the people of Israel. It is not a sign of the new covenant. We are now under the blessings of the new covenant. And therefore, we are not, now underline this, we are not mandated to observe the Sabbath. We are not mandated to observe the Sabbath. In Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17, Paul wrote this, No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Then he said this, Those things which are a mere shadow. Paul then goes on, he was referred to the Sabbath as a shadow of Christ which is no longer binding since the substance has come, because he says the substance is, in verse 17, Christ. Another thing, commonly held by some, Sunday has not replaced Saturday as the Sabbath. That's new wine into old wineskins right there. Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, is a time when believers, this new humanity, believers gather corporately to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection which occurred on the first day of the week. That's what the book of Acts tells us. The church is distinct from Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. Despite what our dear Presbyterian or Reformed brothers might say or think, the church has not replaced Israel. Israel is distinct. It had the mandated Sabbath. The church does not have the mandated Sabbath. Every day to the believer is a Sabbath rest. Why? According to the book of Hebrews, we have ceased from our spiritual labor and we are resting in the salvation of the Lord. Now, before we get too excited and run too far, <laughs> there are certainly wisdom principles that we can draw from this. It was written for our benefit, right? Rest is good. Rest is needed. Many of us ensure we have a day during the week where we rest, and that is excellent. Rest is a mercy. And it's wise to observe a rest. What is unwise is to mandate or prescribe things that God doesn't. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is opposing any attempt to please God, to find favor with God, to grow in holiness for God by man-made regulations and traditions. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. A Sabbath incident brought about a Sabbath indictment. 
Jesus then had his own indictment and he brought about a Sabbath ignorance that he was to expose. And then the one who is the Lord gave some instruction upon the Sabbath because he is sovereign over the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. Be wise to have rest. Matthew chapter 6 verse 31, 32. Jesus said to his own disciples, come away with me to a secluded place and Sabbath a while and rest a while. Voluntary rest. Mandate heavily on someone else that they must observe a Sabbath day. This man made regulations. In Christ there is freedom indeed. And he is our rest. And I'm sorry to keep you an extra five, ten minutes, but I wanted to get through that. And that's important. If you are yet to come into that rest, it means that you are yet to receive that rest. And you need to do that today. Come to me, he said. All who are weary and heavy laden. And the people that he said that to were so burdened by these man-made regulations. But he stands and calls you this day to enter into that rest by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, we give you immense thanks. Lord, thank you as the new covenant people of God that grace abounds. And that we who have made ourselves slaves to a perfect master are the freest of all. Help us to live holy. Thank you for such a Lord as Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.